Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 190 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, I'm excited about my guest today because, uh, well, chances are you've heard of him. His name is Nick Vujicic, and he's best known for the message he brings in the context of being born with no arms and no legs. Yeah, when you hook the story and the name together. I'm pretty sure most of you have heard of Nick and uh, man, he has done some amazing things. He has preached the gospel to millions of people around the world, been interviewed hundreds, if not thousands of times by, well, a whole bunch of people, including Oprah Winfrey. And um, he's on the podcast today. Now, here's here's a fun little leadership thing. When you're interviewing somebody as interviewed as Nick Vujicic, what do you do? Like, do you just ask him all the questions that everybody asks him? And I mean, quite honestly, it's right on his website. People ask him, what's it like to be born without arms and without legs? And he has an amazing story. It's definitely worth checking out. But I thought, you know, for this podcast as a long form podcast, why not do something a little bit different? So I decided to ask him some questions that he probably doesn't get asked that often. And so see, see what you think of the approach on this interview. I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, when we were done, Nick, Nick said he loved it because as you can imagine, when you have a story as unique as his, you answer the same questions over and over and over again. You go to his website, there's like, I don't know, dozens of questions that are just FAQs. So I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. And um, maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a lesson in what to do when you're talking to somebody who is used to being asked questions what will your approach be? So this was my approach, and we had a great time together uh, with Nick Vujicic. So I think you're really going to enjoy that. Hey, thank you to all of you who leave ratings and reviews. You guys, man, over 600 on iTunes. I can't say thank you enough. And man, you're so encouraging. So I read every one. I want to thank Stock218, who said, Carrie's wisdom has helped me understand so many things about church culture, change and leadership. I can't believe it's free. Yep, it's free. And thanks so much for that. For for all of you, when you do that, hey, you let people know about the podcast. And we're actually having the best weeks we've ever had in terms of being able to share it with leaders. And hey, we have a new partner on the project I'm very excited to tell you about. Um, I know a lot of you probably have design needs. I do. Um, like maybe you're trying to create a logo or a series art or rebrand your church or your organization. Um, let me tell you about Design Crowd. Design Crowd is a company that helps thought leaders and entrepreneurs outsource or really crowdsource custom logo right down to business cards, website design from designers around the world. And Design Crowd actually has, are you ready for this, 600,000 designers globally ready to help you with awesome creative ideas. So how does it work? Well, uh, you post a brief description describing the design you need. Design Crowd will invite its 600,000 plus designers to submit within hours. You'll actually receive your first design and over the course of, well, less about a week or less, a typical project will receive 60 to 100 different designs from designers around the world. So you can actually just pick from among them. So uh, all of a sudden, you know, instead of hiring a designer, like how much is it going to cost? And, oh, I don't really like his work. How do we negotiate this? I mean, you decide all that up front. And because you're a podcast listener here, 
you get a VIP offer for a special $100 VIP offer for all podcast listeners here. Check out designcrowd.com slash carry. That's designcrowd, D-E-S-I-G-N, crowd.com forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y. You will get a $100 VIP offer or on checkout anytime, just enter the discount code carry, C-A-R-E-Y, when posting a project on Design Crowd. So super excited to have Design Crowd aboard as somebody who helps you get this podcast for free. Check them out. You all have design work to do. It's a great way to go. Designcrowd.com slash carry will get you the $100 off VIP discount just for being a listener of this podcast. Well, without much further ado, I am thrilled to be able to jump into my conversation with Nick Vojacic. Well, Nick, you've been uh, interviewed hundreds of times, and I'm so glad that you're on the podcast. So thank you for uh, saying yes. Great to be here, Kerry. Thank you so much for what you do and uh, encouraging all who are listening. Hello to everyone. <laughs> That's great. And I got to love an Australian accent. I really do. <laughs> this one's a little watered down after 12 years of being here in California, but uh, definitely closer to Australian than uh, American. So when you go home, do they say you've sold out, like you, you no longer sound Australian? When I go back to Australia and I see my first cousins and they're like, what? You're American. <laughs> and in America, my dad's a Dutch immigrant and he says he speaks no official languages anymore. His, his English is too Dutch and his Dutch is too English. Oh, that's pretty funny. That's yeah. very funny. Yeah. Anyway, well, Nick, you have been interviewed, I don't know, thousands of times. Even Oprah Winfrey, you've met 16 or 17 presidents and prime ministers, spoken to over half a billion people. Um, that's a pretty good pedigree for a young guy. Uh, what question do you wish someone would have asked you that no one has asked you? You know, actually, it's such a cool question. Someone, I, You know, you don't know what you want to be asked until someone actually asks you. Yeah, but I, I'm just going to answer it this way. The coolest question that that um, was given was, "What's the best part about your children?" Right? Because oh, cool. we now have two boys, two girls, and what's the best part of being a father? And I said, um, "Their mother." Hmm. Uh, my wife is unbelievable, and I, you know, being a PK also myself, knowing we have a lot of leaders on the podcast listening. You know, don't forget to massage your wife's feet, get her some flowers, not just because it's Valentine's Day, but but really never forget where you came from and what you've been through. Um, I, I think there's not enough of those questions to come back in a sobering mindset to be really in a mindset of attitude of gratitude, especially, Carrie, for those who us, those of us who are visionaries, mm -hmm. you know, we just go and go and go and go on, and we really miss the 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 blessing of gratitude when that comes in. It is Valentine's Day that we're recording this on, and you were just sending a quick text before we got started. So you taking her out for lunch? Yeah, I take my wife out for lunch every week, Carrie. That I'm home. That's uh, great. Two or three hours, um, always every week, and I'm about to start taking my boy out uh, as well for our lunch dates uh, or or some time together. So um, he's going to be hybrid homeschooled. Uh, at a charter school, and uh, and we we're going to be uh, uh, making sure that daddy's not just you know a daddy, but he is his friend. So that's awesome. How old are your kids, Nick? Kiyoshi just turned fifteen yesterday. 
my wife and I, we just celebrated our six-year anniversary two days ago. We have a child also, uh, his name's Dayan, two and a half years old. And we now have eight-week-old twin girls. So we wow. are done now four. So we are so, so blessed. That's, that's incredible. Tell me how you met your wife, because that's part of your story. Yeah, I met her at a speaking engagement. It was love at first sight. Couldn't feel my legs. Um, <laughs> it was kind of like a, a, vision ca- a vision casting sort of night back in Dallas in 2010. Uh-huh. And uh, I looked at her. She looked at me. We actually wrote a book about love. You know, a lot of people carry these days, uh, there's such a movement of not wanting to be married uh, or, yeah. or, you know, not having kids. Um, or not believing in true love, if you will. And so we wrote a book called Love Without Limits, which is a phenomenal story. And 60% of the phenomenality, if that's a word, Carrie, of that story is is who my wife is. And uh, so Kane is her name. And uh, we met in 2010. And uh, the way I proposed to her was uh, we put the ring in a cream puff. And I had her feed me the cream puff. And then I didn't choke on the ring, finished the cream puff, and then put on a finger. That's phenomenal. That's uh, that's actually really creative, of course. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, anything you're tired of people asking you? I mean, you must get the same questions all the time. Oh, are you tired? <laughs> <laughs> what? People are asking you, are you tired? I think everyone does that. You know, it's like, you look tired. Are you tired? Oh. Like, guess. I don't know. Like, do I have to not look tired? You know, my grandmother was one of the, I don't know why I'm talking about my family today. My grandmother is one of the sweetest uh, people I've ever met and one of the nicest influences in my life, like another mom. But every time I saw her, she would say, you look tired. And eventually I'm like, do I really look that bad all the time? Like, I guess I just look terrible all the time. That's a bad question. People don't like, they don't like, I love your grandma and a lot of people do that, right? Yeah. I think people just lack... The, the efficiency of substantiative conversation and a habitual kind of pattern of commenting before you actually enter into a conversation of any substance. Yeah. And so I just look at them and say, thanks. And, you know, like they, they realize that's not probably the way we should start conversations anymore. <laughs> really yeah i'm tired but you just look awful i don't know i don't know what the story is with you right you could try that one thanks next <laughs> next i'm not mean carrie i'm not mean I no just, i know i know I'm none of this is in the questions i sent you I so um, <laughs> it's funny you've written a bunch of books i just turned in the manuscript for my next book last week and one of the sections in the book is on the death of conversation. It's funny you should bring it up. Is that something you've noticed, that conversation? And I mean, as, as you know, given your story and everything, I'm sure people aren't even sure what questions to ask you, right? How, talk about conversation for a moment. What, you, you've already gone there, so I'm just curious. Sure. Look, when you realize that every conversation is, 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 is an opportunity to plant seeds of love, that when you're at a grocery store and you have to check out, and then there's a 17-year-old girl who's not giving eye, tech, eye contact to anybody, and you're on your phone, you can either put your phone down and say hello, or you don't. And when you do say hello, you can also um, say, hi, you look pretty today. What's your name? She has a name. Hi. She has a name tag. Call her by her name. Say, hey. You're beautiful today. Or if she's not really upbeat at all, say, hey, how are you doing? I'm all right. 
can I pray for you? No. Well, I'm just going to let you know that when I get into my car, I'm going to pray for you later, okay? You have no idea what those words could ever mean. And what if you were the only person in her life that ever would ever extend a prayer request? Mm. Could be that 30 seconds. And so conversations are conversations. And most friends of mine, Carrie, know that we don't just talk about nothing. You know, we, it's not like I have no humor and funny in my life. I do. Yeah. But um, it's like just like, let's get straight to the point, you know? So you're you're no-nonsense kind of guy. Let's just talk. I and I don't want to go straight deep either. Carrie, you know, we're on the we're on the road and we talk and we give and we give and we give and sometimes mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about anything deep, but you know, but but let's talk of something either that I can get to know you more about or you can get to know me more about or we can get to know more about God together or just have fun, but but not the, you know, Oh, the weather's great. Oh, yeah, you look tired. So here's a question for a guy who's probably met more people than almost any of us listening to this podcast will. This has been a challenge for me as our church has grown from a handful of people to thousands of people. I'm on the road a lot, not like you are, but you know, I meet thousands of leaders a year. How do you engage people when you, you know, you're meeting so many you can't possibly remember them? How, what, are, what are some techniques that you've used to really engage people at a meaningful level, even strangers? I think you have to recalibrate your mind to actually know what other people think of you and not what you think other people are thinking of you, if you're with me, that actually <laughs> might be inaccurate. But always going back to embracing the present and the moment that all you remember is making sure that at that moment you treated them with love, you treated them with respect, you asked for the forgiveness of any sins that you've had, if you did need to ask for the forgiveness of sins that you had or did something that offended them. Um, what's more important is the fact that you, you're present and you're honoring God in every minute of your life as best as you can and living your day um, as if it's your last day. Um, when people understand that I meet a lot of people, they know that a lot of it becomes a blur. I mean, there are people, you came to my school, you came to my church, you came here. There are some, you know, there are some times where I really do remember it. There are really some times that I do forget it. But why put that extra pressure on you to be superhuman? It doesn't mean that you don't love them less. It doesn't mean that it wasn't valuable. It doesn't mean that God didn't bless that speaking engagement. But don't put unnecessary pressure on yourself. Uh, let's get back to the basics and not pretend that we're superhuman. And you know what I also love about conversations, Carrie? What? When people say, I'm praying for you, but they're actually lying. Yes. That's Busted. the Christian. I hope that's in your book. Uh, you know, I've blogged about that, actually. I think Seven Lies Pastors Tell. Uh, I want to read that one. I'm praying for you. That's one of them. Seven Lies Pastors Lie. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll post that in the show notes. I wrote that years ago, Nick, but... Uh, I, it's funny how I remember that one, but it's like, yeah, that is, we, we lie about that. And, uh, that's, that's not a good thing. Um, let me ask you, are there any questions you love getting? Like what do, as a person who gets asked questions pretty much every day of your life, what are some of your favorite questions? Look, uh, obviously I I don't want to change what you're going to be asking me later. Right, dude. But you know, many people, they get so caught up on, my disability. Yeah. They don't really understand that 
You know, they're talking to um, somebody that has no problem talking about their disability, um, but I definitely want to talk about the disabilities of the heart. Mm. And, and that's what I, I love to get straight to. Um, not saying I'm avoiding questions or anything like that. It's just some interviewers, not like you, Kerry, some interviews, they make that, that's the, that's the, whatever, that's Nick, right? He's, well, tell me how it is to do this and tell me how it is to do that. So, that's great. I can, I can answer two or three, but not 15 of that. And, and yeah. uh, I think it's a sensationalism kind of thing. Um, and, and I think that we're still not there yet. As far as hmm. American media, um, uh, I, we've come a long way as, as a country, but to, to, to really, um, you know, be in front of somebody without a wheelchair to not talk about the wheelchair kind of thing. Um, yeah. I, I think there's more of that, that, that I think will happen in the future. Um, John Erickson Tata is my, my hero. Uh, but when you talk to Johnny, she talks about a chair a little bit, uh, but man, she gets straight to the heart. So that's what I love. What do you think, because you've, you've obviously experienced this your whole life, um, but a lot of people don't really know how to make that approach with people with special challenges, with disabilities. Um, what are some, can I just ask you, best practices for, for us? Yeah, just be yourself. Yeah. Uh, be yourself and, and they'll, you know, um, it, it's, it's hard, Carrie, at the same time. It's not a formula because you got some people in wheelchairs who, you know, you're trying to be nice and you want to help them out. They're like, no, I don't need your help. You know? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. And and that's awkward. And so I don't think there is a formula for everyone. I think everyone's different. And so at the same time, Kerry, I'm also telling people all around the world, you know, just relax because people don't know exactly how to approach you. So I think it's a, a meshing progressional thing with integration and society. I mean, we were just in, um, in Ukraine, I was able to talk to the government there, preach the gospel, and at the end, all the politicians were on their knees praying to God on national wow. TV. Wow. And a wow. week later, they changed the laws um, to allow special needs children to go to school. And now they're asking me, Nick, can you please now educate our teachers, educate our parents, educate our students who do not have special needs, who've never seen special needs before. Um, and so... Wherever you go, I mean, when we were with President Madame Salif in 2008, we went there because they, they were killing children with disabilities because in tribal beliefs, your disabilities are cursed from the gods, contagious to then curse the village. Wow. And so I've seen different ends of the spectrum, and I just think it's just that ongoing input, input, trying, learning, and then just do your best. Be real and do your best and be cool. Hmm. Um. Tell us something about you that very few people would know. It can be light, it can be funny, it can be deep, it can be profound. What would, what would most people not know about you? Because you have a pretty documented life. You know, there's always going to be something that somebody doesn't know. Um, but I'm, I'm just glad that, um, you know, I think, I think it goes without saying, but it is sobering um, that every day, I mean, I just lost my dad last year. Oh, I'm um, so sorry. And uh, that's okay. He's, you know, he's in heaven, uh, 62 years old. Um, Pretty young. Very, you know, many people said very young. I thought 
you know, I think it's a it's a good inning, 62. I'm 35, you know, I might yeah. have 30 more years in my life. And so what we're trying to figure out is, okay, how do we leave this world with the most Jesus seeds behind? Hmm. I, I think many people don't understand the magnitude of when you are on the front line of God's army. We're not just talking about being on the defense and the fiery arrows coming to you. But when God sends you to take over a territory and you're going into territory that not many evangelists are allowed to go, um, you know, it, it, it becomes a little hot when you're standing in front of the gates of hell and redirecting traffic. Uh, and that includes, you know, three death threats. Um, I don't think people understand that the magnitude of, of when God calls you somewhere, number one, um, not just the sacrifice and the obedience, but the faith that wherever God wants you to be for whatever season it is, it's the best place to be. And it could be in the middle of, of a fight. It could be in the middle of a riot. It could be in the middle of whatever, but it's where God wants you to be. And so I think it's the magnitude and, and sober mindedness of knowing there is a war. Um, I, I've met demons. Uh, that's why I'm not an atheist. Um, mm. I have, you know, been threatened with my life, um, a, a death threat. Um, and I think it's just that the, I think if you ask me, what do people not really know about me? It's the, it's, the, it's the heaviness yet with joy of carrying the call of being an evangelist on the front line, seeing things that most people in America wouldn't believe. Um, mm. and, and, and we get so caught up in the Western society that we forget, wow, we are in the end of days. Um, we are um, supposed to be pastors and leaders who are not just prepared for HR risk management or a change in tithing and, and giving patterns, but actually ready to die for the sake of the gospel. I feel like many of Americans say, wow, we've never been so persecuted yet. But I really feel that America hasn't seen even the tip of the iceberg of persecution and, and, and losing a generation yet. I think it's coming. I'd love to know more about the death threats to the extent that you're comfortable talking about them. Um, what what happened there? Well, three of them, but one of them I'll tell you. Um, I don't want to talk about the other two. Okay. Um, but but one of them um, was in uh, a country in Southeast Asia, and I was 23 uh, or 4 years old, and not many Christians in that country. Um, and yet we would be, uh, but when there are Christians, the church is Omega. Yeah. Um, this is just incredible. So, um, the remnant are blessed. And so, uh, we saw about, I don't know, 15,000 people a night here in the gospel of Jesus Christ and about 5,000 a night coming forward, uh, to, to wow. receive their Lord and Savior. So life without limbs ministry has actually now seen over 1.1 million people give their life to Jesus Christ face to face on 3000 stages in 68 countries. And so, um, we got an email saying, um, if you ever come back to my country, we're going to kill you. Um, and I went back to the country, um, three days, three years later and, uh, did the same thing, you know, altar calls and 
same amount of people. It's just incredible. Um, and and we got an email saying, I came there to kill you, but I gave my life to Jesus Christ instead. And uh, today, still serves in the church, uh, was able to preach the gospel to his family, bring them to church, and they're all still in local church today. So that's a cool story of the death threat. And does that freak you out? Did that ever get you to the point where you thought we can't go back there or we need to change approach or strategy or how, how do you handle that? Look, by the grace of God, we have such an incredible board of directors that um, we're now moving forward with kind of a 10 year vision plan. And we kind of, you know, know as a ministry what the 43 countries are that influence surrounding countries, which then influence the rest of the world. And so by the grace of God, we'll be going to preach um, six countries a year for the next 10 years. So we literally have been um, watched on YouTube 1.2 billion times, um, including China. And uh, 1.2 billion people have seen something on TV of me. But 670 million have seen me preach the gospel um, on national TV by the grace of God. And so our next 10 years is to reach uh, 1.2 billion with the gospel. And so when you have that on your shoulders, number one, family is everything, right? And your own relationship with God, no matter what happens, you know that your family knows that you love them. And no matter what difficulties you have in your life, um, no matter what that looks like, you always come home and I've got kids, right? Five year old, Mm -hmm. he gives me a hug, gives me a kiss. It doesn't matter what happened that day. And I feel like what I've learned in the last two years is leadership and delegation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you can do that, you can do more when you have more people with us. Yet at the same time, Kerry, by the grace of God, we've never had more than 10 staff on our ministry. Wow. So very lean, delegate, equip, release, empower. And then you have staff members that actually say, we're actually fasting and praying for you. Will you join That's us? Incredible. And when you have staff that actually fast for you, like if you, if the staff went up to their local pastor said, I'm fasting for you. Mm. I wonder when the last time that was that somebody told their pastor, I'm fasting for you without asking. Right, right. It wasn't part of a Sunday initiative or something like that that you preached about. You also mentioned demons, which is interesting. Now, among our listenership, you know, church leaders, there'll be people who are like, oh, yeah, I totally get that. Others who are like, that's not even real. Uh, I, You know, I always believed it was true because of the Bible. It was in ministry that I kind of had some experience with it and went, oh, wow, that's what that's talking about. And yet it's not something I, I dwell in daily. Uh, do you want to talk about that? I just, I'd be curious just to see what, um, to the extent that you feel comfortable sharing about it, what, what your experience has been with that? Look, it's really simple. Um, witchcraft, voodoo, black magic, really real. Yeah. The American church kind of grapples with the, 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 the question, why do more miracles happen in Africa than America? Have you heard that? I have, yep. I believe there's actually a logical explanation for that. Um, when you go to... Um, and it's all supernatural, but it's logical. Um, when you go to a place that has no hospital, no doctor, uh, no medication, um, as popular as coffee stores are in America, um, in some parts of Africa, South America, 
India, they have um, witch doctors. And it's real. Um, they do ceremonies with blood, drinking, um, putting blood around your house, chanting. Wow. Um, it's really real. And because most people have seen that, when a white guy like me goes to Africa and says, hey, I have an invisible God. In America, they're like, well, uh, okay, cool. Good for you, right? I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't believe that, right? You go to Africa, I have an invisible God. Yeah, so do we. Show me his power. That's what the conversation starts out like. Um, and so because they see the supernatural so much, it's kind of like the biblical times on that end with, with um, you know, Moses and the staff and the rod and the serpent. You know, look, look at that. that. That is the demonic. That's not God hmm. that, that, you know, fights against himself. It's, it's his angels against the demons. Um, and I'm not saying that <clears throat> I look for a demon under every rock. But, man, when you feel a demonic presence from the other side of the hotel room, um, through the wall before he even walks through in San Francisco and you see this black figure, 10 foot tall, five foot wide, walk through the room and lean over you and this screeching noise. Um, I actually, in my specific experience, find out that 2% of every teenager in America has woken up in the morning with a pressure on their chest like crazy and a presence in their room and they think it's all just psychological and mental um that's why we pray over our house that's why we pray over everything and our family um not that the enemy can never touch us but when you're walking through and you're going through the planet and you're going through school there are some people who are possessed there are some people that are not possessed but they have a couple friends around them from the demonic forces. Um, so it's, it's, it's not that it's not real. Um, it's definitely real. We don't harbor on it. We don't, you know, try to mount it up as if, but it's definitely a power that exists that doesn't love me and that wants me dead. And it's only by God's grace that I'm still alive. And again, you know what, Kerry, the other thing about, what we sometimes do as Christians in our conversations, they say, oh, thank you for saying yes to Jesus. Or thank you for, for, um, for, for doing the ministry of the Lord. And I'm like, hold on a second. Why are you thanking me? Like I, first of all, we can't even breathe without the grace of God. We right. can't open right. up our Bible without the grace of God. We can't come to repentance without the grace of God. It's all about the grace of God. It begins with the grace of God. It is the grace of God. And it ends with the grace of God. And I think it's by the grace of God that we don't even um, feel sometimes what really is around us. And um, at, at times, though, um, we, we do forget that we are at war and we are ambassadors, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, and this is a very special time to be living. Hmm. How do you guard your daily walk against those powers? What does that look like? Because you say you don't want to spend too much time on it. On the other hand, it's a very real thing. Can you kind of walk us through that? You don't think about it, but you're aware of it, especially when you go overseas or you go places. Um, 
But for me, um, I spend about 20 minutes a day on the toilet. I don't know about you, Kerry. You don't have to answer about that. <laughs> I believe that God loved me so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. Um, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Uh, you betcha that I spend 10 minutes every morning, at least, with my God. Sometimes 20, sometimes 30. Me and my wife, when we only had one child, we'd spend an hour together in the Word, reading the Bible, having our coffee. Seasons change. We, it's like a zoo right now. We've got four kids. It's a little <laughs> crazy right now. Seasons change. But what always remains is my personal walk with Him, whether that's worship music, whether it's reading my Bible, uh, whether it's a Bible study at my house with my men's group. We've got two groups, once a month each. Um, that's kind of how we always come back to that that calibration, recalibration to be able to surround yourself with people that you can be really real with. Uh, I'm not talking about cell groups, Kerry. Yeah. I went to a cell group with eight people for the rest of my life and hide anything I want from my underpants. We can hide mm -hmm. things really well. But when you actually have friends who care for you, who love you, who pray for you, and it's reversed and reciprocated, you know, you don't want to hide things and you don't need to hide things. And when you don't hide things, uh, it's addressed and it's prayed for and it's counseled and you push through and you move forward. That's the family of God. It's not just about going to church. It's about having friendships and not just in the cell group, but, but real friends who I got. They look you in the eye and say, how are you doing, Kerry? Yeah. How are you? And if I've known you for eight years, you ain't going to lie to me. Yeah. If I can't the face like that you're going to tell me what's up and i'm yeah. going to pray for i'm not going to judge you and i'm going to help you through depression and discouragement are a couple of the things you've struggled with at different times in your life when you were a child actually it goes back to your childhood and i'm sure in the ensuing years as well uh tell us about that um when I was uh, eight years old, I really quickly had a quickening of uh, maturity where I looked ahead of my life and wondering, am I ever going to get married? Am I ever going to have a job? Am I ever going to be happy? Uh, where is this loving God? That's the question, right? That's actually one of the top seven reasons why people don't come to a faith in God. Um, number one is how can a loving God let famine exist and pain yeah. exist? And there's an answer for that. Um, there are ways to talk to people who've been hurt by the church. There are ways to, to talk to people about God who are atheists, who know more loving Muslims than Christians. Um, there are ways and knowledge in how to present that. But for me, my number one crutch, actually two of them, was number one, where is God? Number two, what's his plan? And God calls us by faith into repentance because the kindness of his voice. And when I heard the kindness of my, of, of my father's voice, heavenly father's voice, I still didn't understand, but why was I born this way? And why can't you do miracles? Where is my miracle? What's your plan? Yeah. And I attempted suicide at age 10. Um, the vice president, Mike Pence, when he was governor of Indiana, he allowed me to speak to 270 schools live streaming. Um, Idaho, 21,000 IP addresses hearing me speak at the same time. Uh, Governor Gary Herbert had me speak in all the schools, classrooms in Utah. I uh, spoke to the le state legislature in Hawaii about bullying because bullying is 40% of the reason for teen suicides in America right now. And that's based on our own 
anonymous survey that we've done in 290 schools. Um, 90%, uh, 40% because of a broken home and 40% because of bullying at school. And so because of bullying at school and not understanding what plan God had for me, um, I started getting angry and alone and isolated and feeling like I was a burden to my parents. At age 10, I attempted suicide. I came out of depression at around age 12 or 13 when I played soccer, hurt my little foot, um, was in bed for three weeks staring at the ceiling and saying, oh my gosh, my parents are so right. Stop focusing on what you don't have and be thankful for what you do have. Do your best. God will do the rest. But the pivot for me, um, the tipping point was age 15, reading John chapter 9. A man was born blind. No one knew why he was born that way. Jesus said it was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. And what I realized was Jesus didn't sit the blind man down and say, hey, my name's JC. I'm the healer. I'm going to put mud on your face and give you a facial. And after that, you're going to be able to see. He didn't tell him nothing. Um, he just sat down. Now, the blind man could have flinched. The blind man could have stopped Jesus. But the blind man, by faith, was still. And he allowed Jesus to do the miracle. And what I realized was I don't need to know the plans that God has. I need to, though, by faith, by his grace, believe that he does have a plan, that he can even make my broken pieces put together with his grace and mercy. He can do something amazing and beautiful that even when I don't get a miracle, I can still be a miracle for somebody else. And whoever knew that a man without arms and legs could be his hands and feet. And that's why I wrote that new book, Be the Hands and Feet, because mm -hmm. we believe that, that we all are instruments and tools in God's hand to, to not just, not every pastor is an evangelist, okay? I know that. But so many churches that, that we are so caught up in, what's the, what's the giving pattern? What's the ask? What's the campaign? Let's change the worship. Let's change the cosmetics. Now, those things are important. All of those mm -hmm. things are, just, are important somewhat. But keeping the main thing the main thing Carrie, I really believe that the American church doesn't believe that we can actually see growth in our church anymore. We're on the yeah. defensive side. We're losing. But let me tell you how quickly the church doubles in membership in America is not so dependent on what worship music and how the style is or actually the necessary teaching, uh, necessarily a teaching, as much as it is the question of how many lost souls will actually come through the doors of the church. And how many lost souls will come through a church is how many people are actually invited to the church. Yes. There are so many people and pastors, they have the congregation on the shore of the lake and they're preaching. But people on the shore are more called not just to be ushers, not just to lead a cell group, but to be evangelists. And I feel like it's the, the fivefold ministry. You've got the teachers, the apostles, and the evangelists is three of the five. And, and, when your fingers palm up to the roof, when your fingers are apart, the grain and harvest falls through. You don't catch the harvest. But when you put your fingers together under the church, we are the church where you can actually equip those two out of a 100 of your members to actually give them a boat and a net and a team and go and bring the fish in. Without fishermen, where are the fish? Without the fish, we have no more souls. There's so many directions I want to go, Nick, and this is this is so helpful. I want to just spend a little more time on the bullying you've experienced as a kid, because there's a lot of leaders listening whose kids are um, being bullied, 
And uh, there's a lot of people who have been bullied themselves. Maybe, you know, it doesn't really go away when you're an adult sometimes either. You got bullies in your life, a boss or coworker or a neighbor, or sometimes sadly a spouse. Um, what, how did you get through bullying yourself? And then what are some of the uh, tips or advice you give to parents or to kids who are facing that right now? Because you, you speak on that a lot. In my book, Stand Strong, I wrote a book for the for the teenager who could digest some scriptures as well about mm-hmm. bullying, about being the salt and light. And I really believe that that where gossip should actually start ending first is in our Christian schools. Mm-hmm. It's not just about bullying. It's about coming back to, you know, I think it even, you have to take a step back. There are it's coming and stripping away the truth to, to just the bare truth that you are loved by God, not because of what you do or what people think of you or how you look. You're loved by God because you are his. You don't need to sound like the Bethel church band. You don't need to sound like Kerry Joe. You'd stop. You know, I, 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 I actually think that we're limiting our church by not thinking our own worship bands can come up with their own worship music with a new song. Because when you subconsciously know, oh, wow, yeah, my church is now related to that church because of how it's looked. We're all organic. We're all different. We're all blessed. We're all God's children. We don't need to look like somebody else. Hmm. We don't need to, 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 to be anybody but us in Christ. And so when you take that step forward and realize, wow, we're all a family, individually, uniquely made, perfectly made by God. We're wonderfully and fearfully made. Now, with that, it's now teaching our next generation and all of us how to appreciate one another and not just compartmentalize everyone. Um, there are some people, Carrie, that, that I am very good friends with that speak in tongues. Mm-hmm. They speak in a lot. And they, you know, prophesy and all that stuff. Now, I've seen how gifts of the Spirit has sometimes taken the distraction from the main thing, keeping the main right. thing. But am I still friends with those people who speak in tongues? Absolutely. Um, so we got to, I think, appreciate the diversity of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, 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 and it comes back to you. Who are you? Who, who are you? And, and when you know who you are, then you know that same compassion that God gave you and the same mercy and forgiveness and patience is what you give your bullying spouse, is what you give your bullying members, your firm, but fair. You know, these churches, these pastoral leaders, I feel so sorry for them. I never want to be a pastor because my dad was one. Yeah. He came up to me and said, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. Now, I'm not telling the church you need to now bring an evangelism program in it, but I'm, I'm, I am called by God as an evangelist to say, hey, who are we? Let's come back to the basics of your real value. You don't need to look like anybody else. And let's get the lost souls in the door. Because until we get the lost souls in the door, we ain't going to grow. But coming back to this value, for me, I think it's coming to the basics. And it's got to start in the home. Mm. Insecurity is a big issue. 
uh, with a lot of people. When you look back as a child, I mean, you know, knowing your story as I do, would you say you struggled with insecurity for a long time? Yes, sure. I think it's mm-hmm. it's it's the biggest weapon of anybody. And I'm not speaking like out of, you know, a psychological thing, but uh, sure. it's, it's always understanding that if there's one thing, Carrie, that the enemy can take away is your joy. Mm-hmm. And you've lost your joy and your joy is not in the salvation through Jesus Christ. And he's, he's, he's taken something out beneath you. And I think the biggest thing that, that the enemy can, can try devastate is the establishment of your value and identity after you've met Jesus Christ. Mm. So reading that story in the Gospel of John about the man born blind was a turning point in your life. But what are some of the other things that have helped you gain? Like you come across as a very secure person. You've made peace with the way you were created. And what, what were some turning points with that? I think one of the things that God really used, obviously my parents. Yeah. Second, my wife. Love my wife mm. so much. She's the most incredible person on planet Earth. Um, what I will be doing with my children, Carrie, is taking them around the world. Okay. I want them... I, I'm, I'm not going... No offense to any pastor. I'm not ever sending my son to go and build a house in Mexico. Okay. I'm going to send my son to the HIV children's orphanage in Tijuana where no church is helping them because they're told that God's punishing them because of their sins. That's where I'm taking my teenage son because it's wonderful and fluffy and warm to go build a house. (laughs) So nice. It's so nice. We can be a clean Christian or we can get our hands dirty. You see, we don't want to be faced with the, with the amazing, scary, sobering mindedness that if you put 100,000 churches together, Kerry, in America, and these churches take three foster kids home, we don't need a foster care home. I don't think that we really want to look ourselves in the mirror. Hmm. And when you really look yourself in the mirror, when you actually try and do an anonymous survey of your youth group, you will be surprised at the percentage of teenagers that we think are Christian are actually bullies themselves at the school and sexually active. Yep. Now, if you did an anonymous survey of every church-going teenager in America, how many of you are socially, uh, sexually active? How many of you actually had an abortion? Do you know what that means, Kerry? Everyone knows what PTSD is, but no one knows that there is a suffering of a woman after abortion. And no one sits down when they're 22 years old, 32 years old, and sits down with them, says, tell me about your life. Oh, that happened? Well, let's counsel you through it. Unfortunately, it's not on the pastor. I'm not saying this on the pastor, but getting a creative system 
of counseling that meets the needs of our community. And I feel like it's warm and fuzzy to go and build a homeless person a house for a week with Western people. But it's a whole new thing to say, well, hey, what about our orphans? Mm. What about our own church members? Are they literate in the Bible or are they illiterate? We're all talking about the stats of 18-year-olds going to college and never coming back to church till 35. Well, has anyone dug a little deeper and said, well, can they quote 10 scriptures from the Bible? Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, let's look ourselves in the mirror. Great, dude, I'm all for building houses. I'm all for international missions. Me and my wife, we sponsor three kids. But you know what we want to see happen in America? I want to sponsor 10 foster kids. Mm. And if I can't have a foster kid in my home because our family can't do it, we're going to start buying meals for the foster parents that are doing fostering for other kids. And you know what? Let's partner with a Christian mortgage group to vendor finance a bigger home for those foster parents to then double up in how many foster kids they have. Hmm. There are some organizations out there, Kerry, that say, well, we're going to help. I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to red flag them. I'm just going to yeah. say, you can get a special deal on our mortgage because you're this, this, and this. But you actually call them up, well, you need to prove that you're actually making 65 grand a year. Well, are you really helping them or you're not? Or is this a money-making business? Mm. So we got to understand it is time that America looks after our own children and stop talking about how the enemy is attacking us on the front line where we have our own backyard dying. We got to really understand that the, 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 the purity of sending out the mission, the missionaries, there was a time, carry where the missionaries were sent out of America like no other nation, like mm-hmm. no other nation. Now it's time to be missionaries in our own backyard, getting ready to bring another wave of that. So the question is, what are we preaching in our churches? What are we doing? Are we really taking time? And, and sorry to keep on going on this, but one of the things that I'm passionate about is my own pastor around here, the Spanish church, his daughter adopted a 10-year-old African girl. Hmm. And she was tormented all her 10 years of life. They couldn't find a Christian counsel for that 10-year-old girl in California that's faith-based and that's affordable. Meanwhile, we have an army, get this, of Christian psychologists working for different departments of the government different organizations where they cannot say the J word. Hmm. What if in a county of Ventura County of a million people of 150 churches, 150 churches pay $500 a month to actually employ these $80,000 a year, which is what they should earn, psychologists that don't just talk to people, that don't just prescribe pills, but understand the council process that then empowers that pastor when that member comes to the pastor and says, my 14-year-old's in ICU, she slid her wrist, 
she commit, she tried to commit suicide. Will your pastor please come and pray? Yeah, he'll come and pray. He'll read the scripture, but he's not going to now go to her house every day. And it can't just be a cell group because our cell group members don't always know how God uses psychology. Just like God uses um, dentists for a root canal, God uses counsel for PTSD. Mm -hmm. How do we equip and empower the church where the counseling evangelists and the pastors really come together? I really believe, and I'm not being mean or angry or anything like that. I'm going to the church in America in love and saying, hey, let's stop. Let's, let's have a look at where we are, who we are. And if something's not working, is it because we're missing something or we have to do something different? It's got nothing to do with the style of, of stuff. But going back to the original gospel, meeting people where they're at being the hands and feet, not turning a blind eye to what we really have stewardship of. It's uh, fascinating because, you know, you're commenting on the international church, you're commenting on the domestic church, but you have gone all over the world as an evangelist. Um, where do you see the openings? Where do you see the openings in America? Where do you see people's hearts being cracked open? And then I want to think about that internationally as well. Got a lot of preachers listening. Okay. Bible clubs in schools. Really? Bible clubs in schools. Period. And the second thing, mobilizing the church. So mm. we live in a country that still allows you to talk about God. Yeah. That door is shutting. True. Where I am in Canada, it's pretty much closed. Not in America. Wow. In Australia, closed. Many countries, mm. closed. Finish. Done. No more. Not even on the premise after school in Australia. Okay? Wow. That is coming. And if you don't believe it, read Revelations and see what God says. Eventually... Mm. It's going to come. Woe to us who never walk through an open door. Hmm. God, do something. Walk. Yeah. Hmm. Get real. What do you see happening in Bible clubs in schools? Tell me about that. There are creative ways in starting Bible clubs at 200 students on the first Bible club. It's very simple. It's not science. One Voice Student Missions, Brian Barcelona, started a couple of Bible clubs in Northern California, which included Oakland, gang-infested cities and schools, okay? He went there, and he went there for a month, once a week. He gave them pizza, gave them donuts, befriended the cheerleading squad, the NFL, the student government, um, and, and the influential people. And then they're like, what are you doing? I just love you, man. Hey, a month later, we're going to start a Bible club. You want to come? Yeah. Why not? They started 200. Mm -hmm. A school of 1,200 had 700 students gather once a week to hear about God in this one school. They were feeding pizzas to these kids. God called Brian Barcelona down to Pasadena, California. 
they had no money to keep that running. When the city heard that they're going to shut down the Bible clubs, guess what the city said? We will not allow you to shut the Bible clubs down because you're feeding our children. We will pay for the pizza. Please continue to talk about your God. Wow. I did not know that story. That's powerful. You got to check this out. Jesus Club. He's got a book on it. It's amazing. So we're helping him out as much as possible. 32 full-time volunteering staff. They were just last year on a $30,000 budget. They're, they're doing phenomenal. 81 Bible clubs this year, bro. 81. All across California. So meet the, 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 So there was this one church that, that took him on, right? This challenge to start a Bible club. It's only a church of 150, Carrie. Do you know wow. how many people they're actually reaching every week now? Doubled in their church at the school once a week. My goodness. 200. 200 kids a week. That one church with 150. The pastor's not even getting a salary. Man. There are still that, that army of Hispanic pastors. They're working 50 hours a week. 60 hours a week. They don't get paid by the church. Most mm. of them in Southern California don't get paid. But these are the ones who said, I'm all in. I'm ready. I, I ain't wasting time. We're going to go. We don't have much. We're going to believe for God for more. That's the people who are aggressive in understanding it is time to walk through those doors before the doors close. That's number one. Number two, Kerry, I'm all for people praying for revival for this country. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody stopped to think what is revival. Mm-hmm. What is it? There is, I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to say who. There are some publications on the Christian media saying, oh, revival's breaking out here. Why? Because 200 people gave their life to Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think so. Be very careful with the word revival. Is it when everyone now just starts speaking in tongues? You and I know that's not revival. Revival is, 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 is however God does it, that's up to him. However it looks, that's up to him. I'm not focusing on revival. I, though, in a logical sense, I love the people who are trying to bring a million people to Washington, D.C. to pray for the country. We can't do anything without prayer. Amen? Amen. Mm-hmm. But what, if, what if a million people were shown how to do street evangelism and a million people preach the gospel to 20 people in a day and 20 million Americans heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and 10% said yes because we taught a million people what to say when they ask us a question. What would you do? How would you train them? It's not hard, bro. We train everyone for everything. So, so role play for a second. You're putting me on a street corner. What do I say? Well, that's a plug and play. But basically, bro, I don't, it's actually a sad state of an American church where I can, I can sit you down, Kerry, and, and because you are who you are, you're not the average Christian. You talk to pastors and you know the yeah. word of God. We have conversations. But if you sit down the average Christian and you say, please share with me what the gospel is and who you were 
before you received the gospel in your life Mm -hmm. and what it did for you after. Do you know how many people cannot say that in three minutes? And we talk about the attention span of people in the world. Well, you got to figure out how do you sum that up? Mm. Because the Holy Spirit will speak through you, sure. But I can. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get up in front of a street corner and just do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mouth open, <laughs> stuck. Yeah. No, and and personal testimony is hard to refute. Personal testimony is the biggest thing. It's the biggest, it is the most powerful thing that you can Well, I mean, isn't that the heart of your story, Nick? Really? It's personal testimony. That's the bottom line. That's why I've written this book, Be the Hands and Feet, because Mm -hmm. you have a story. And, and, And you can share it. So anyway... The other thing is evangelism, big thing yeah. domestically, okay? Yeah. Mobilize the army in how to talk to somebody who's been hurt by a Christian. How do you talk about the love? How I talk to somebody who's a veteran PTSD is different than somebody who's never seen a father in their life. Right. How I preach. So it, it's equipping the church. We equip the church for many things. We spend between 100000 between a hundred thousand churches, I think we've spent more than a billion dollars on buildings. I think we can spend some money and time and investment on actually teaching each person how to preach a gospel. Anyway, that besides, internet's a great thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. But internationally, Kerry, you ask me internationally. Pray for Russia. Mm. I don't think Russia is closed. It looks like it's starting to open. India, you watch that country shake in seven years' time from now because they're going to be grappling with the outcast system, with the new generation who's been now knowledgeable about value of people, whether they have arms and legs or not, and they're not outcasts. That is going to challenge their Hindu religion to the core, to the core of that country. Look out for, um, well, I'm going to say pray for Latin America and pray for Africa. Because unfortunately, if you actually talk to anybody there, 90% of them would agree with me that the most debilitating disease the African and Latin American church experienced and are dying under is the prosperity gospel. Hmm. And if you ask them, what is the one thing, one thing that is thriving? And they'll say, when the church realizes it's not about them and they meet the needs of the people. Yeah. Wow. That is the basics. How, how do you, I just want to go back to what you oh, said, because you go ahead, go ahead. Eastern Europe's going to be fun. You watch, I reckon that's kind of where we're going. We feel there's just a, a ripe season in Eastern Europe for life without limbs, all the Balkans. They're ready to hear the gospel. Most Protestant churches are seen as a cult by the Orthodox Church. But there is a shift that's beginning. Interesting. Ravi Zacharias was here in, on this podcast. He said a very similar thing, that Eastern Europe, India, there's, there's a lot of openings where godlessness was kind of the thing for generations. Uh, the younger generation is very open. Whereas in America, it's the opposite. The parents were open. And the, uh, 
the kids are more closed. You talked about being hurt by the church, and maybe that's a good place to sort of, you know, land the plane. Lots of people have been hurt by the church. It's something we run into every day. Uh, you mentioned you got to learn how to talk to somebody who has been hurt by the church. What would, what tip? I mean, every story is different, but um, what, what have you found helpful um, when talking to people who've been hurt by the church? First thing is first. If we were a righteous people and we didn't add to the gospel and we didn't subtract from the gospel, people wouldn't be hurt, hmm. in my opinion. Because many times of people and live in the gospel, right? Obviously, it's going to be perfect, but think that through. It's sometimes giving people false expectations and taking the eyes off the main thing, which is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is us as our identity. You be a part of it. Even the Hispanic church in America, you leave our church because you're looking for another home church. Well, that means you left God. That's what they say to them. That's the culture. Wow. Okay. Talk about that. So you get hurt by that. And so what I say to that is don't ever be a Christian because of a Christian. Because if you're a Christian because of a Christian, you're not going to be Christian for long. Yeah. And so don't be a Christian because of a church, because there's no perfect church, no perfect Christian. Jesus is perfect. God has a plan for your life. And you can pray for miracles. Right, you can pray, but but the bottom line is this, Carrie. Get back to the basics. I know I'm repeating yeah. myself. This is another way to to look at it, right? Four parts of our existence: soul, spirit, mind, body. Right. Find Jesus. Atonement of blood. Atonement of His blood for your sins forgiven the resurrection hope salvation mm. heaven great spirit no longer you that liveth but now christ the holy spirit that lives in you but now it's a daily walk of the mind the renewing of your mind mind your emotions your psychology mm. whatever that looks it's the mind then it's the body the body's last the body's last bro with so much emphasis on that dying, sorry, crappy piece of flesh. Yep. Crappy piece of flesh. Comfortability and appetite and desire. Mm. I want arms and legs. No, I don't. I don't want arms. I didn't wake up this morning. God, give me arms and legs. Valentine's Day. God, give me a wife. Great. <laughs> I'll give it too. But don't forget the joy of your salvation. Don't yeah. forget that at the right time, he will give you exactly what you need, not always what you want. And I feel like most people got hurt by the church because they saw people who said they were Christians who don't live like it, absolutely far away from it, more like a social club. An identity and culture, which is no different than an Orthodox person who goes to church twice a, twice a year. Hmm. Think of that parallel. To then giving them false expectations. That's what I think. 
Ah, that that's fascinating. A lot of that really resonates. You know, I can see that, and you deal with that every day as a church leader. Nick, I know people are going to want to get. Uh, well, this is your latest book, "Be the Hands and Feet: Living Out God's Love for All His Children." Um, where can they find that, and where can they find you online? Best place. Well, first of all, you can get that book at Amazon, CBD, or um, wherever you get books. Um, definitely go and grab um, some copies and give them out to your youth group. And in fact, uh, before I talk about a competition with the release of this book, um, I want to say please go to lifewithoutlimbs.org. Find me on facebook.com slash Nick Vujicic, N-I-C-K-V-U-J-I-C-I-C. And then we also bought the domain in the release of this book, be the hands and feet book.com, be the hands and feet book.com. Um, and there's a competition actually, Kerry. Cool. Um, a lot of invitations to Christian schools, get a lot of invitations to churches and youth groups. And so if anybody as an organization, whether it's a Christian school or a church, um, if they, uh, a, a youth group of the church, if they buy more than 25 books uh, and they download or upload their receipt number to our website at bethehandsandfeetbook.com, uh, first of all, if you buy 25 or more books, I'm going to give that youth group or that Christian school a personalized greeting from me for 60 seconds. Oh, that's uh, cool. Second of all, the organization, the Christian school or the youth group that purchased the most books across this nation in America, um, they will actually have me for free this year come in person and do a keynote speech at your school or at your youth group. Oh, that's awesome. Well, there are literally tens of thousands of uh, pastors and student pastors and kids pastors listening who would love that. So that's at bethehandsandfeet.com? Bethehandsandfeetbook.com. Book.com. And then find that information, register your purchase, we'll validate your receipt number, um, and then, you know, we will have that competition open uh, from May one to May 31 in 2018, and before December 31, 2018, I will come, God willing, uh, to your youth group or your Christian school. Well, that's uh, that's pretty awesome, actually. So you got a month from air to be able to yeah. do that. That's Nick, this, is, this has been really rich. Thanks so much, and thanks for just speaking from your heart today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, I'd love to know what you thought of that approach and of the interview. You can hit me up on the socials. I am C. Newhoff on Twitter. Uh, I know you can spell that. Yeah, no, it's in the show notes. Okay, so you can just go to kerrynewhoff.com slash episode 190 or go to leadlikeneverbefore.com. All my social links are there. So are the show notes. Just search Nick and uh, Nick Vujicic. You'll find all the show notes there for episode 190. Uh, I'm also on Facebook at C. Newhoff and on Insta at Kerry Newhoff. So there you go. I'm really excited to hear from you on this episode, and I hope you check out the show notes as well. All the links also to Design Crowd, brand new partner on this podcast, are there. And again, if you've got design needs, head on over to designcrowd.com forward slash carry and make sure that you use that code. You'll get a $100 VIP offer. You'll get a $100 VIP discount and 60 to 100 different designs on your project that you get to pick from in just a few days. 
pretty cool approach. You got nothing to lose. Why don't you try it? Well, hey, we are back next week and I'm pretty excited because we got some great, great episodes coming up. I had a chance to sit down and have a conversation with Christine Kane, someone I've admired from afar for a long, long time. And guess what? One of, one of the funnest things she told me when we were getting ready to record was she says, I'm a listener. I had no idea, Christine. That's amazing. And she's on the podcast next week. So uh, here's an excerpt from what's coming down the pipe. For those that know my story, at 33, I found out I was adopted. I didn't know until I was 33. So again, I'm in this moment of getting this devastating news, which welcome to leadership. I mean, in, yeah. in terms of like whatever it is, whether you're leading a church or you're leading a ministry or an organization, um, every day is full of moments where you are going to get some news about something that you were not expecting. So I think in that moment, what you truly believe is revealed on the inside of you. And I think what it shows you is whether in this moment, am I, uh, have I been trying to control my life and did I have some sort of unrealistic expectation of God or um, do I really trust God? So the fact that this news is unexpected to me, it's not unexpected to God. So how am I going to navigate this in faith, even when I'm feeling a degree of fear? How do we move forward? All right. So that's next week right here on this leadership podcast. I want to thank you guys so much. I don't know what you're doing. I'm recording this on a day where all of you in the Midwest and in Canada are suffering through, um, really a miserable April blizzard. And I know by the time this hits the airways, well, number one, I'll be in Australia. Number two, and, and hey, Australian listeners, we're going to have fun together this month, okay? And New Zealand. Don't forget New Zealand. I'll be there as well all of May. We're so excited to be with you guys. And uh, I'm sure the sun's going to shine sometimes. And I hope this has been a little bit of light in your week. Thanks so much for listening. We're back next week with a fresh episode with Christine Kane. And uh, I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.